we um, desire for this to go as well as possible. And and we knew that, it, hey, if we came together to, to, to do the most sacred task of, of creating life, then surely, surely we can, uh, we can uncouple with dignity. Welcome everybody to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome everybody to this episode of A Healthy Divorce. And I have a conversation with Becky Boisvert. And we talk about her experience of her divorce with her former partner, Sana, and how they consciously, and yes, at times lovingly, even through the challenge of the pain of ending a marriage and to do it in a healthy way, not one that was full of conflict and animosity and disconnection. Because many of us know that. That's what we see and hear and many people experience of that in divorces. We very seldom see and hear stories of healthy divorces. So that's why I wanted to have this conversation. And a couple tidbits about Becky. Becky is my neighbor. And also her and her former wife, Sana, had the first legal same-sex marriage in the state of North Carolina. And now Becky, because of her experience with a healthy divorce, she helps couples go through a conscious and intentional process of separation and divorce to help them do it in a way that's very empowering and very conscious with integral agreements. So to learn more about Becky, you can check out the show notes. And before I go, I want to mention a few things. I had a couple donations recently that I want to acknowledge. I would like to thank Gray in France and also Judy in California. Thank you so much for your donation. That is a great contribution to the production of this podcast. So those of you that would like to contribute to my podcast financially, you can go to my website, prepo.com, hit the support the podcast page, and you can leave a one-time donation or a reoccurring donation. It is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. And I also want to plug a new workshop that I'm doing. It is called The Art of Apology, and it is a workshop for couples that is live on Zoom on two optional dates you can choose from, Sunday, April 24th, or Sunday, May 15th, from 1 to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm going to help you walk through this process because many of us, we are not modeled it. We weren't taught how to give a deep, heartfelt, and remorseful apology. It is such a vital tool for couples to have to be able to give accountable and empathetic apologies. 
So if you want to check out more about it, you can go to my website, prepo.com. You can click on Relationships Let's Learn About a page and on the online workshops, and you can register there. I would love to see you there. All right, everybody. So here we go. My conversation with Becky Boisvert, a healthy divorce. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about it. Thank you so much for wanting to have this conversation. Mm. Yeah, from being my basketball junkie partner. (laughs) (laughs) Those of you, that's an inside. We have a neighborhood basketball little situation going on in spring and summertime. And Becky and I, we've gone at it. It's been fun. (laughs) (laughs) So now we're switching up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could do an episode on relating on the basketball court. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to do that, the dynamics of that. <laughs> Sweet. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a, it's a wonderful topic to talk about because I've done some podcasts before about breakups, and, and but when, I don't know how long ago, maybe about a year ago, we were talking and you told me some stories about your divorce. And I was so taken aback in a beautiful way of, mm-hmm sound how loving and how conscious your process was. So I was so game when when you said, yes, I would love to talk about it. Mm. It feels like an honor to mm. be here and to share share this process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe just a little bit of background for, for people around your, your relationship. It's a little unique. Mm-hmm. It's an inter, um, international relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a unique with some of the laws around same-sex marriage and mm-hmm. how that came in. So do you want to give a little bit of background? with sure. your, Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. I guess uh, some relevant background. Sana is Dutch. My former spouse is Dutch, um, my co-parent. And um, yeah, I am American. And we met, we actually met in India um, and got married in the Netherlands, um, where same-sex marriage was, uh, the Netherlands was the first country in the world to um, approve same-sex marriage. Um, yeah, so... Um, and you were together how long before you got married? We were together two years before we got married, um, and we were officially married nine years and together 11 years. Um yeah, and we had a daughter together, have a daughter together. Um, yeah, that's a little bit of context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then there was a period where you decided to move back to the States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that was when? We moved back when our daughter Willow was um, seven months old in 2011. Um, and we moved back. Uh, it was a, It was a real risk uh, because our marriage wasn't uh, officially recognized in the United States for immigration purposes, or at all for that matter, because of the 1996 law known as so-called the Defense of Marriage Act, which stated that marriage is between one man and one woman. Um, The Defense of Marriage Act, that's a crazy name. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
yeah, so we, uh, it was a real gamble and we uh, took that risk because we knew we wanted to raise Willow, our daughter, uh, in these mountains, in the Southern Appalachian Mountains, that that was really important to me and to Sana and to our family unit um, to raise her where we wanted to raise her and not um, let a discriminatory law get in our way. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh -huh. And did that, did that stress play in the relationship, the stress of, I think you said there was like a two year period before she got her green card of whether, didn't know if she was gonna be deported, you didn't know all kinds of things or her ability to work and how did that play in the marriage? Yeah, I mean, we, it was um, a deeply stressful time and un there was a lot of uncertainty. So I think that we were in quite the survival state as a, as a young couple with a young child, um, which definitely had a, had an impact. Um, yeah, like, like you referenced for, for two years, we were sort of in limbo and here in the United States and, um, yeah, Sana was unable to work officially and uh, couldn't get a driver's license. And um, uh, yeah, there. at one point we had applied for her green card on the basis of our marriage and um, got a letter in the mail stating that she needed to leave immediately. And um, so it was a very difficult time. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, on some level we chose it uh, because mm. we we chose to move here and could have been exempt from any of these these challenges in the unit uh, in the Netherlands, um, and um, yeah, I suppose that could be its own podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm curious too of like, what was your you know going into your relationship, and did you did you have good success in other relationships of how to do a conscious um, connecting committed relationship? I mean, did you did you both bring something in that effect or um was it more of a typical relationship that that we know of i'm, I'm just curious yeah i wouldn't have called it typical um by any stretch um in fact we often got feedback as a couple that that we were modeling something that was fresh and different to people and and yet at the same time we didn't have any mentors for it um, what, what was it that people thought that it was fresh and the the way that we um, addressed things as it came up the 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 way that we um, communicated around the challenging stuff the way that we um, uh, brought our hearts and souls into the relationship um, and there were also even ways that we structured things um, that were in support of us being in relationship. Um, Can that, you speak to that? Like what, 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 what some of the structure? Cause that's, yeah. some people want to know that. I want to know that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I think like some of it for me doesn't even sound that, um, that special or radical. It's, it's just like, for example, like setting aside time to, to just be together as a couple and not be distracted by anything else, um, to, to just like focus on the relationship. So that was just one example. You know, again, I don't, I don't imagine that what we were doing was in our couplehood was very special, so to speak, but I think that there was just, um, a desire for consciousness, a desire and willingness to show up to what presented itself through our relationship. And then when did it take a different turn? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I love to ask people, do they know when there was a point where doubt came in or 
something was not spoken to that mm -hmm. the repetitive of that solidified one person or both people to say, you know, we're going down a different route or yeah. people shut off at, at times. Yeah, it's a good question. I um, It feels a little tender to speak about. What I, one thing that I've come to understand now, I'm not sure I had a full working awareness of it then, but I, quite frankly, as two women who had a young child in the home, I think that the mothering energy was so strong that we were both, we both became mothers. And quite frankly, I think that um, shifted sort of the dynamics of passion uh, and made it so much so that we became really like domestic partners uh, in so many ways. It was like we were we were so focused on the raising of this young being and supporting her as mothers that um, that some of our partnership really took a hit. And um, I think that was the start of some some foundational shifts for us. Um, Can I say, that's yeah. an interesting um, topic because I'm wondering, do you have any idea how that's different in a heterosexual couple of, you know, of two parents, I mean, I can think of as, you know, there's a role that, you know, the mother is the mother and I support as the father. I support more of the the mother and why I take a more supportive role. Um, and I'm just wondering, yeah, how that's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. Have. I mean, yeah. I think, I, I think I see it a lot in, in young couples in in hetero couples with, with children. It's like, the way in which the, the yeah really the mother is is so devoted to that that primal task and and I I, I hear it talked about in terms of the sex lives of new couples and um, yeah I think I, as two women I mean I I haven't even delved into the research of that I'm sure there's a lot about sort of the loss of a certain polarity that polarity that creates some juiciness and passion um, I I th I think it's like it's probably easier to lose it when you have two women who are both focused on their motherhood. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. and I'm sure there are parallels we could draw. And there, was there uh -huh. some kind of like even competition of who's who's the number one mom? Who? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting. Uh, it, it, there there is certainly a dynamic. Um, you know, I carried Willow, so I was um, the the birth mother for Willow, and. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a way in which, um, you know, Willow's needs as a very young baby, um, you know, were more connected to me as a nursing mother. Um, and and so there was a, definitely a tension there, um, I think, that um, that exists. And we would talk about it, again, you know, as a part of our desire to be consciousness conscious in our relationship. It was like, okay, let's, let's look at, oh, how does that feel that she's reaching for me, because I'm carrying the milk, and yet you're like, you know, you are in your motherhood as fully as I am. You know, how how does that how does that impact you, Sana? And so those were that's an example of some of the things that we would talk about. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Did the pressure of living in the South, two women married with a child, did that get um, did that get impacted in your relationship? Oh hell yeah! Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think you know. Uh, in many ways, socially and culturally and politically, like it made sense for us to stay in the Netherlands because we would have just been uh, 
seen and and cared for culturally our relationship and and to make the decision to come not only to a place where our marriage wasn't recognized but also culturally in the south to to recognize that like wow like <laughs> we um yeah we are the you know actively discriminate like we can feel it when we go out into the world and you know especially our daughter is biracial so um so there's another another element um yeah that definitely played into our our relationship um and wow you threw that karmic dice man you wanted like some oh yeah juice. oh yeah <laughs> I, and i like to say it took it took four continents to bring our family together so it's like it wasn't yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I think that there were just such powerful forces that led to our coming together and the co-creation of our family that um, <laughs> mm. that it all the other forces that were uh, sort of against it um, were okay because it was like, yeah, we're power, we're powerful, we're meant to be doing this thing, you know? And so then what, what year was it recognized? 2013, the defensive, so-called Defensive Marriage Act was dropped uh, in a landmark Supreme Court ruling in June of 2013. And where were you on that totem pole? Um, oh my gosh. Well, that day, you mean? Or I'm, I'm just curious. I think in our conversation before, you said that you were one of the first couples. Oh yeah, we were. We were the first same-sex binational couple in North Carolina to have our our marriage recognized uh, for the purposes of immigration um, and the sixth nationally. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big deal. Um, there were, there were, there were some people who were supporting us along the way. I kind of, after two years of putting our life on hold, I went to um, our Senator who then was Kay Hagan here in the region. And I, really said, okay, look, our family, our life has been on hold and it's been super stressful. How can you support us? And her office really helped us um, move through the process. And uh, so it went faster than I ever could have imagined. Um, hmm. Yeah, And we had Sana's green card in August of 2013. So the pressure of that dissipated a little bit. You know that you're here. You know that you can be legit as, as a couple. Yeah. And then something and sometimes we don't know again what that is, that one or both people decide that the, the relationship is needing to go into another direction. Mm -hmm. Was that was that a, a joint um, agreement? Was it one of you that instigated it more? Yeah, it was more me. Um, I was the catalyst in that. Um, yeah, and, and yet um, at some point, you know, I think we both reached mutuality in it. Um, it took, it was some time later, but I think there was, there was a lot of hurt at first. Um, and um, yeah, and of course, like all couples, no matter how conscious we tried to be, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have mentors. We didn't have support system in it. So I think there, of course, like, like all couples, there was built up hurt and um, there were built up things over the course of our relationship that also had kind of um, played in. Um, and yet it was like, okay, we, we are going to change the form of our relating. Um, mm. And that was sort of how we characterize it from the beginning. It was like, we knew, Sana and I both knew, like we, um, desire for this to go as well as possible. And, and we knew that, it, Hey, if we came together to, to, to do the most sacred task of, of creating life, then surely, surely we can, 
um, we can uncouple with dignity. Mm -hmm. Um, so there was, that was really an intention from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like you said, in our conversation, uncoupling wasn't a thing back then. There wasn't the book, um, famous books around uncoupling. You didn't read that. You didn't use that kind of model. You just came from something innate within yourself to decide how to make that blueprint. Yeah. I mean, I don't know when that book, Conscious Uncoupling, came out, and I've never read it. Um, I do know at some point I heard the term, and I don't even remember when, but I was like, ooh, that... It was the the term itself felt more true than anything I I had come up with up until that point, um, and I don't know, you know, I don't know if like in, in the way that like sometimes something in our consciousness bubbles up, like you know, in the collective simultaneously. But I don't know if like it was happening through me at that same time. But um, yeah, this entire process kind of came to my awareness, and and I started mapping it out and writing it down and. Um, kind of um, outlining a way to dismantle our relationship that could uh, allow plenty of room to for the process to be held and, and, and for us to stay in our love through it. And that is a, uh, that's a desire and a target for many couples that are breaking up, but they don't do it well. As a couples counselor, mm-hmm. I have a real difficult time when I'm working with a couple that decide to do that and helping them through. There's so many of the backlog things that come in. Some of their dysfunction comes out in the uncoupling. It's more the unconscious uncoupling that really takes place instead of conscious mm-hmm. coupling. What were some of the things, because some of the concrete things that you decided, okay, this is this is where we have to look. You know, number one is what we have to do to start this separation. Mm-hmm. What, what, what would be that? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, first out, it was like looking at the relationship, looking at all the ways that our lives uh, were intertwined and sort of uh, like looking at it sort of in phases, like, okay, in a phase one, what would be the first few steps we could take that would be the most gentle, that would allow um, this process to unfold over time and give us enough space? So for example, it was like, okay, the first thing, we have this marriage bed. We have this bed we've shared every night for, you know, a decade, more than a decade. Like, okay, um, what is it like to to set a date and and decide by this date we're going to stop sharing this bed together? And to, in the like, in the naming of a date, in the naming of that process, to also hold all the emotions that came up, all the things that. Um, just that act in and of itself of separating out our marriage bed, uh, what it brought up in us as individuals. First, we would create a lot of space. What does that bring up in us as individuals? What does it mean for the third party of our relationship? And really, we so we map that different different steps just like that. You know, it was like, yeah, the marriage bed, uh, financial, how to separate out our finances, how to. Um, not just automatically assume ourselves as a family unit anymore, but to really like separate out our time more uh, distinct as individuals. So those are some of the steps um, that we took along the way. And you did this, how long were you still living in the same house going through the separation? Yeah, that's a good question. So we, hmm, I would say that we started the process internally and within our own home and we were engaged in that part of it for for a good eight months Hmm. 
before we even began to like really step outside of the home. Um, and once we, once, once we did go outside of the home, we had um, our arrangement was that we had one home. We, we sold our house and we moved, we actually moved to a community. And so we had one home in community and that was where our daughter Willow stayed a hundred percent of her time and Sana and I rotated out of that home. Um, yeah. And I think there's a book about that and an official term, I believe it's called nesting. We had, again, we didn't read any of those resources or, um, but yeah, that was, that was, um, gosh, I even think that was a year where we, a year before we actually took that step. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I asked you this before when we were talking downstairs, but a lot of couples, they end up going back and forth in that time frame, in that separation time frame. And it gets really kind of cloudy. Growing up for me, I would just remember when my parents were separating. It was like, wow, dad's back in the house. Oh, and two weeks later, dad's not. Oh, there's arguments mm-hmm. and dad's gone. Oh, dad's coming back. And the confusion of that. But I'm sure with most couples, there's some sincerity of wanting to see that it worked out. Did you ever have any of that back and forth? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because I think that um, uh, people in our lives were like, why in the hell are you uncoupling if you're doing this so beautifully and your love is so intact? So I think for us, like, um, there was there was a certain amount of resolve um, that we at some point we knew, like we both knew, okay, we're changing the form of our relationship and there was resolve there. And yet there was like, there were moments of just so much beauty and love and like honoring of one another that it, and it was so against the sort of like the, the, the mainstream narrative of how this is, how, of how diverse divorce takes place. And, um, yeah, because divorce takes place, the dynamic that you were talking about, the, the victim, victim perpetrator. perpetrator. Yeah. Culturally it's like divorce happens and there's a victim and there's a perpetrator and that's the storyline. And, and that's the way it's played out in courts, you know, in North Carolina, one person literally has to sue the other. Fucking nuts. So it's deeply embedded in the institution of marriage, the victim perpetrator dynamics. And I think, you know, we were, it was like, it was an up upstream swim for us to to hold to love and to to know that we could do it differently and um and yeah i mean heck i you know i talked about the steps in this process there was like at some point the step was to go file the paperwork with the courts right and doing that and then realizing like oh like i have to sue sana it, it, and then like for us to create the space to feel like, oh, feel the heartache and the grief of that and feel how misaligned that was with what we were actually doing. Um, so yeah, it was um, it was a it was a trip. And again, like as as our peers and families were were observing us in this process, they were like, why the hell are you even divorcing in the first place? Like, yeah, I think you made a joke prepo about like, like we were divorcing better than some people actually uh, live their marriages out, you know? And mm-hmm. um, so there was some confusion, but in the sweetest way and the like, in the, in the way of like, gosh, we sure do love each other and that's okay. We can love each other and still be divorcing. Hmm. Yeah. Wow, that, that's a that's a great statement and also a great target to sustain to mm-hmm. be able to do that, that we're going to do. Because I know so many couples that have that 
intention and for some reason they don't sustain it and they have the intention to want to do that but their actions don't show that so how was it was did did you hold each other accountable into that like was there any times where you'd have to come back on track and say hey remember we're doing this in love hey, oh, we're yeah. doing this in kindness yeah oh no doubt like you know there were moments when you know the de- the default the cultural default of blame and hurt and um you know pointing the finger outside of ourselves for our failures like that stuff all crept in you know mm-hmm. it it took yeah it took real intention and desire to keep showing up to something greater um what were your arrangements around seeing other people at that time you know we for uh well for a while there just like it it just um, wasn't really talked about. Um, and then uh, then at some point I took a lover in the process and um, we uh, sort of like mapped out some agreements related to that. Um, but yeah, that, that was a hard part. I, in hindsight, I wish that I had waited longer. Like even though I wasn't interested in partnership, um, I really, really wish I have some, I have some remorse that I um, took a lover so soon and that that um, played into some of Sana's hurt in a way that, um, that I feel sad about and feel remorse over and wish that I had um, allowed for there to be even more space uh, before Sana had to deal with that on an emotional level. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was acting out of other needs in that process. Um, right. Mm-hmm. I know it's not easy to say what would be a healthy time frame for that, but from your experience, and I know you work with couples, mm-hmm. helping them on couple, do you give a target time frame or milestones of like, you know, watch, this is a good time frame to start entering into the possibility of another relationship, give it whatever time frame because you know of hurts and processes and digestion needs to take place. Any yeah. any thoughts about that? You know, I've never actually spelled out specific time periods. I think for me it's more a question of um, what's the intention going into it and bringing consciousness. Like when I'm working with a couple and, um, yeah, one of them has made the decision to start seeing other people, you know, for me the questions are, that get asked are like, okay, well, what – what is that serving in you? Is it becoming a distraction to this process? Is it a way of deflecting the hurt that you might be feeling or um, obfuscating from the grief that you're um, trying not to feel? You know, it, to me, it's it's less about a specific time frame and more about what's underneath that, what's what's within that, what needs are being met, and how is that contributing to the uncoupling process or not? How is it detracting from it? Hmm. Yeah. Were you or Sana doing any individual counseling or therapy on your own to work through some of the issues that most couples have around not bringing in unconscious uh, anger, frustration, hurts, you know, working through that? Because when I'm working with a couple or working with one person, it goes way better when they are working on those issues on their own Mm -hmm. and not acting them out through communication with that ex-partner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
it's critical. I think, um, no, neither one of us were actively seeing somebody at that time, thera- a therapist or a counselor of any sort. Um, and yet, like, my whole my whole orientation is li- in life is self-reflection and work on myself. So I was just doing that naturally. Um, and I, Asana also carries a lot of that orientation, too. So, um, you know, I... I um I wish somebody like myself had existed for the process I would have mm-hmm. gone to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um and maybe there was but um yeah I I wasn't finding that person. I was like like really realizing like wow, we are so devoted devoted to this in a way that I was not seeing examples of around me. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So in the, in the state of North Carolina we were talk about that the Laws around divorces, you need one year of separation from domicile living mm-hmm. in order to for the divorce to go final. It starts from that supposedly day of separation. Mm-hmm. So you went through that that process. Was that the time that you went to the court and got it finalized? And what was that like? Yeah. So um well, uh, yeah, again, we had we had one home in community and then Sana and I uh, rotated out, uh, uh, like we lived, so Willow had one stable home and then each of us would spend time with Willow here and then had a, had a, had another living arrangement. When we, when we, well, we chose to do what's called a pro se, absolute divorce. So we represented ourselves. We never had lawyers involved. We never had mediators. We um, just did the process ourselves and really, really um, mapped it out and did it well and um, just had agreements along the way. And you, um, and you had real estate property. You had all things to. Yeah, to we had on. a house. We right. had a house that we Good sold, and yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a it was a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we, yeah, we never even we never even signed any like formal custody arrangements or any of that. It was like, and you still don't have no because we were like we're gonna we're we're still we're loving co parents. We spend holidays together, you know. Like we we never needed to do any of that. It was like no, why why would we need somebody else to validate that for us? Like we're in this relationship as co parents now, and we're gonna create the life we want to create. So. Um, <laughs> There's probably many people listening going, man, I would love to do that. No fucking way could I, could I do that. And I I'm say sure, you can. There you go. I right. say you can. I exactly. Say, yeah. It's just really, it's so hard when I hear one partner, you know, say, yep, I got the custody agreement out. I want Christmas and she's not giving to, we're going to court. Mm. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it took perseverance. It took time. You know, we weren't going to like be in and out of a separation and divorce in a year. You know, it, it really, it was, it, it took our intention and our devotion and commitment. Absolutely. And, and to me, that was so worth it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it took longer than we wanted it to, to, or that it, and it was like, that was what we were signing up for. You know, and maybe that's it, Becky. You know, I think people want to get through that process because they want to get through the pain so fast. Yeah, and so they rush ahead yeah. of where their emotional growth or understanding or their connection with each other. They just do it too fast, too quickly in order, and it usually wreaks havoc. So that's beautiful that you were able to do it in a time frame that was really in conjunction with your process. Yeah, yeah, and that the pain was a welcome part. It's like, no, we. We can't get over this without pain. Like we are dismantling our primary 
family unit, you know, that's some, that's some primal shit right there. That's tribal stuff, you know, like it, the, the, it took real presence to even, even notice what was happening in our bodies around that. And like the, the amount of threat that's, that felt like was happening in our lives. But it was like, no, actually this isn't as threatening as it feels in our bodies. It's just that we are dismantling our primary family unit and we can show up. We can do this in presence and, and know that it's going to be okay. So the pain was a rich part of it. It was like, I didn't want to just put that off to the side. To me, it was like going right into the heart of it was going to make it survivable, survivable, really. And the beauty of that, if people do go through the pain and they do feel the grief, they're going to be less apt to carry it over into their other relationships, exactly. future relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many people... Do you know, I mean, I know a, a lot of people who've been through one divorce and then like never really could open up their heart again a second time. And and that's tragic. That's yeah. that's absolutely tragic. And usually, I don't know what it is, but of course the divorce rates are around here, 50 to 60%, but second marriage is even higher. Mm -hmm. Third marriage is even higher percentage. Mm -hmm. So people are not doing it well the second time around. You know, they are carrying it through. Yeah. Whether it's too quickly coming into that relationship because there's a lot of that rebound relationships that go into committed marriages after that. Mm -hmm. um, but they're not really feeling the pain and they're continuing the, the pain body process in their future relationships. Mm -hmm. So I'm also want, want you to say when, when you did get divorced in that courtroom, what, what, what was that like? <laughs> it's such a funny story, uh, Prepo, because, uh, yeah, again, we were representing ourselves and um, and we were in a courtroom full of cases where folks were representing themselves. And I'll tell this little story because I think it's interesting. Um, I had not spent time in a courtroom, so there we are in, the, in this process, like, okay, sitting in these almost like church pews kind of. Um, and there's the bailiff, is that the sheriff? Yeah, yeah and he's like, announcing the people and we were like to, to, almost to the end um and and usually I, I guess they they ask for the defendant first and and in all of the pre the divorces before our case there was no defendant <laughs> it was just the plaintiff um and in our case Sana was there so I didn't neither one of us knew that she was going to be called up to the stand wow. <laughs> and she's like oh shit Okay, she's getting called up. Okay, so they swear her in, and the judge starts asking her questions. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, it's a simple process, few few questions, and then Sana gets off the stand, and then I, I get called up and get sworn in. And the judge asked me my uh, address. And in that moment, Sana and I, even though we were living separately. Um, we were both taking our mail in our in w the Willow's home uh, because <laughs> the nesting home in the nesting home, and so Sana gave the same address as I gave, and the judge looked at me and said, "You've got some explaining to do." And um, <laughs> uh, because you know in North Carolina you need to have separate addresses for a year. So, anyways, it was like this moment and I could feel this panic in my body, like, "Oh my gosh, this is going to get thrown out of court." Um, the judge thinks we've actually not been living separately, but anyways, I explained it and it was fine, uh, which 
I I I believe if um, if we had had a male Southern judge, I think the outcome would have been quite different. Um, Yay, female judges! Yeah, I think that she really saw the spirit of what I was sharing about our living arrangements, and um, trusted it. And even though it was so unorthodox, and you know that Sana and I were there together, and all the things, um, I think that she saw the spirit of it and and allowed it to go through. But I, I had this like afterwards, Sana and I like wouldn't that have been a trip if we had been denied a divorce because <laughs> because we weren't adversarial enough or conventional enough in our divorce. Um, yeah, but I'll I'll say um, too that like we had that very you know. Uh, that very formal experience in the courtroom that day. And then she and I went uh, into nature. We went to a mountain and we had our own ritual. We closed out with our own very personal ritual on the day of and um, did it, had the had a proper closing in the way that we wanted to, so. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And you said even in the courtroom, you were holding arm in arm yeah. around each other. And, yeah. And that's that was that's probably a fresh breeze for those people in the courtroom. They don't see that. Yeah. 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 There was just so much care and love and like um yeah. Yeah. I I, mean, I just give you so much props for not only doing it, but just, just the process of the attempt to keep doing that process along in those years for, for your family. And I'm imagining also for your community, the inspiration that they saw and that you continue. I, uh, I get to see you and Sana and, and Willow, um, you know, in the community. And, and I feel, I feel no funky energy between you, all, all of you. And I, I can pick that up as a, as a couples counselor real easy. Mm-hmm. So it's wonderful that, that you did that and you became an inspiration to also help people, help people do that. And as you're helping people do that, what, what are some of the advices that you do give around the mindset or the process for people to really do it in a way that is honoring? Yeah, I mean, I created, I sort of, based on my own experience, mapped out a, a whole way of doing this in phases. Um, and I, uh, some couples have approached me to support them in their uncoupling. Um, and I do some mediation work in our community. So um, there there are a lot of details to that process of what I, what I created. Um, and I'd say that the thing probably that I stress the most is that um, that there's a certain amount of, um, I call it exit momentum. There's a certain amount of exit momentum that we need to get in our relationships when we're leaving them. And that this, the typical strategy for doing that is to push back on the other person to find fault or blame or, um, yeah, to use the other person, to use the other person as the way to gain the exit momentum. And I just, have come to see that that if that very if that very start of the process can be handled differently, um, if if we can see that we're trying to get the momentum to get out of our relationship, and that momentum can come from within ourselves, and not vilify the other person or not blame the other person, that I think that's like a starting point in consciousness that can help shape the process differently. Mm. 
And that that part of not vilifying the other person is some aspect of, I would say, self-compassion and humility for our own hurt to not have to put it onto somebody else. Like yeah. you said, to sit with that pain even longer within ourselves and the grief of a lost dream, a lost future, and not just automatically blame it on the other person for not giving that to us. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And to take radical responsibility and like, yeah, like maybe we need to change the form of our relationship and it, and it's okay. And we both contributed to that and that's okay too. Hmm. You know, it can just be okay. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's a tall order just to say, take responsibility of your life. Right? <laughs> that yeah. it's, a, it's okay. It's not turning out exactly what my expectation was. This is what I got. How do I want to proceed in that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think so many people act out of the hurt of what they're not getting and that expectation, right? A resentment is a yet to be, I'm sorry, an expectation is a yet to be realized ex- uh, I'm going to say that again. Mm-hmm. An expectation is a yet to be realized resentment. Mm-hmm. And so we have to really watch the level of our expectations, the attachment to that outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. What else do you want to share about this before we mm-hmm. tell off? You know, I, I just, I, I really believe it's possible to enter and exit out of relationships better. And, um, when you say enter, what, what, what would, what's, what's in your mind and how have you helped people enter into relationships better? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think I told you pre that my, um, that I was approached a few years ago by an, a former colleague of mine who, who, uh, was, was, uh, on the pathway to marriage and, and, uh, they were, they built, they're Unitarian Universalists. So they were, uh, thinking about pre-marital, pre-marital counseling and how that's done in the churches. And then I thought, well, what would be the conscious equivalent of premarital counseling? You know, what would it be like to really think about what I've come to understand about relationships over time and, and to have that premarital process be really setting up some foundational aspects of relationships. So, um, yeah, I think that, uh, I, 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 dra- I created this whole body of work to support them in that. And, um, and I just really see so much potential for entering and exiting in relationships in a much more conscious and intentional way. And I think that both the entry or like, I think in many ways, how we live in relationship is directly correlated to how we enter it to into it. And, and if we can put more consciousness on that process, there can also be more consciousness in the exiting of relationships. So I just really believe in that. I really believe in, in this in this work and and in the ways that relationships are such exquisite mirrors for um, for what wants to grow and transform and heal in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There are times sometimes when I'm working with a couple in a premarital focus, I tell one, okay, to say, I commit to um, getting angry with you and I commit to having a conflict with you. And they look at me and say, why would I ever <laughs> say that? I said, because it's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And so it's much better to say that that will and now decide what the process will that will do when that occurs. Mm-hmm. Not that I wanna do that, but I will be do that. I will get angry. I will go off. I will be unconscious. 
And this is what I want to do and commit to when that process happens. Exactly. Instead of saying, I'll always love you forever. All these outcome commitments. And I, I think it's much more beneficial to do process commitments. Mm. And then the outcome commitment will take care of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Cool. Mm, this has been fun, people. Yeah. <laughs> hey, before you leave, what do you got juicy in your life that you want people to know about? What any new projects? Mm-hmm. Anything that that you yeah want to share? Yeah. Well, you know, I I have been in a um, yeah career transformation in my life, um, and have yeah have come to this work of. Uh, coaching and working with individuals and and couples uh, it came to me it was not something I was seeking out and I find that it is a place of deep um deep honor and sir it feels it feels like my contribution to this world a part of it and so um I've begun to slowly do more of that um I'm also doing uh mediation work in community and that is deeply fulfilling um yeah in many ways in many ways uh i find that the that the work that i'm the meaningful work that i'm engaging these days is work that comes to me that i don't seek out um which is quite a different way to live now that i'm in my middle age it's like Mm. um it's very different from the ways that i that i sought career sought work in in my form in my first part of my life um which was more teaching i was a yeah i was an educator for many years and mm. um created a, a holistic middle school program from the ground up and did all sorts of radical kind of alternative education stuff um mm. which was by the way how you met sana Right. Yeah, I was um, I was in India with a group of eleven teenagers uh, leading a gap year program, um, and that's where that's how I met Sana. Yeah, hmm. yeah, and in some ways, that's how I I met you when that's right. when your son was in my class, one of my first classes many years ago. Yeah, even though we grade. didn't know it, that's we right. didn't really know it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And I also want to just personally thank you for all the caretaking that you've done with Rainbow and, and being there for her mm-hmm. in that in that way, caretaking emotionally and being there as a friend and listening to her through some of her challenges of uh, um, illness and, and her mother passing. And so you have a, a wonderful capacity to hold space for people's stories, their pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I'm I know the people that you work with are very, very fortunate. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Thank you, Prepo. Mm-hmm. Mm. And yeah, Rainbow is such a beloved of mine. So it's really precious to to be in close connection. Sweet. Yeah. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you for having me. Thank yeah. you for initiating this. Yeah. It was sweet. I really appreciate I really wanted people to hear the story, to hear what's capable of, to hear that it's not something that's some pie-in-the-sky space endeavor that's unattainable no um and uh that they don't need this huge educational background that can they can just be a human being with staying with the heartful focus that they want to try to achieve and i know that one partner may be able to do that better than the other and i know that that happens that one partner wants it more than the other um but you picked a partner that you know a lot of people, when they break up, they think that it's a failure. And relationships have a lifetime. 
whether it's a day or 50 years, it's a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like that honoring of your relationship with your partner, Sana, in one sense, just transformed in another way to to walk in the world as co-parents with each other and friends. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and you said it, heart, centering the heart mm -hmm. was the key. We didn't have... We went, we didn't have to be extraordinary human beings. We're just we're just doing our life, just centering our hearts. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Okay, everybody, center your heart. Uh, that's why I wish for everybody today. Thanks, Becky. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Relationships. Let's talk about it. Is a production of Heartshare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more about licensed counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit prepo.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling or therapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment and does not constitute medical or other professional advice.